0: Two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Kal, everybody, Episode Episode 7. Dale Earnhardt Dude, Jr. Kirk Street is, is, is on the phone. My best Sports It is today. Tuesday, oh, so May thirtieth, awesome. two thousand twenty-three. Hey. People. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody had a great Memorial Day holiday weekend. Goes without saying thank you to all of our service men and women for everything that you have done that you continue to do. Everybody, myself certainly included, appreciates your work and your service. So hope everybody had a great Memorial Day weekend and hope everybody is ready for what should be a jam-packed Tuesday episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Here's what you need to know about today's show. We're going to open NBA draft deadline is tomorrow, Wednesday, May 31st. That is the day that people have to withdraw their names to be eligible to return back to college basketball. So we're going to talk about kind of what it means for college basketball going forward. Who are the big names that are still testing? Who could come back? Who could stay? What does it mean? Who could be in big, big, big trouble? We're going to talk about it all from there. We'll take a quick break and kind of just wrap on some odds and ends. A relatively quiet weekend in sports, but there is some interesting stuff with the SEC meeting starting this week, the eight versus nine game schedule, and we may even talk a little NBA finals. We'll see if we get to it, Uh, but busy show, fun show, Tuesday show, hope everybody had a great holiday weekend, but let's not waste any more time and let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, as I just told you, NBA draft deadline is midnight Wednesday, may 31st so it is coming up here quick and so what i want to do i want to open the show by talking about the biggest stay or go decisions that remain in other words if you plan on returning to college basketball you have to withdraw from the nba draft by midnight tomorrow and there are still a ton of really big players that have not made their decisions now there's a few that have We'll talk about them at the back end of this segment, but I want to focus on the guys that are still testing the NBA draft waters, the guys that could, in theory, come back, the guys that could have a major impact on college basketball. Before we get to all the big names, just two quick caveats. One, workouts keep going. Uh, They happened all weekend. They will happen today. They will happen tomorrow on Wednesday. So a lot of guys are really probably going to wait until Wednesday to actually withdraw their names from the draft. And then beyond that, uh, this is a very fluid topic, right? So if you're listening Tuesday morning as opposed to Tuesday afternoon, there may be a few names that have already withdrawn from the draft. So don't yell at me. Don't tweet at me. Torres, you said this guy's still testing and he's out. Listen, this stuff changes. As I'm recording, I promise you, all of these guys have not made their decision, but some of them will. Let's get to the biggest decisions that remain. And I don't think there is going to be a bigger program That is going to be more impacted over the next few days than the Kentucky Wildcats. And I'll take it a step further. This might sound like hyperbole. It might sound like Torres is just doing the thing where he exaggerates everything. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say these are some of the 48 most important hours of the John Calipari era. I'm not saying they're the most important, but when you think about what has happened at Kentucky the last three years, right? Missed the NCAA tournament in 2021. 2022, you lose as a 2-seed to a 15-seed. 2023, you lose in the second round. So we're now talking about an 8-year stretch with no Final Four. We're talking about, what, a 5-year stretch? We're going on 2019 since the last time they even made the second weekend of the NCAA Tournament. And I get 2020, they had a team that was good enough to win it with Tyrese Maxey and Emmanuel Quickly. But I bring it up, it's a drought at Kentucky, and the team right now, As I record this second that they have, it ain't looking very good for 2023. Listen, I've gone over this time and time again, but right now, as I record and things will can and will change, Kentucky has seven scholarship players ready for 2023. Okay, We have schools that are filled to the capacity, that have 13 scholarship players, that have 12, that have 11. Kentucky needs three more guys just to run five on five scrimmages, taking a step further. Of the seven that are coming back, five are true freshmen. You have a redshirt freshman in Uganda, Onyenso, who barely played. I believe he appeared in one SEC game last year. And you have a Du Fierro who, listen, I like him. He's fine. He's probably a year away from being a major, major contributor on this team. And so you look at Kentucky. They have missed on everybody in the portal they've gone after. And I've talked about that and I've criticized the program and I thought they moved too slow. But right now, the focus has to be on three players that are currently testing the NBA draft waters. And the scary part is, I don't think any of them are a guarantee to return. The three players Oscar Shibway, former All American National Player of the Year, Antonio Reeves, a sharpshooter who really came on strong late, most notably 37 points in the uh, SEC f- season finale at Arkansas. And Chris Livingston, kind of a a projected guy and a project guy and all that. So right now, Kentucky has seven guys. Three guys are testing. Here's the scary part. None of them right now are like a lock to come back. Like there are some guys that are just going to take this to the end, see what's out there and come back. There is no guarantee that any of them are coming back. And there's actually increasing buzz that Antonio Reeves, a player, who many believed was he's just going to test and he'll eventually be back, that he could actually be hitting the portal as a graduate transfer. Now, the positive news, I would say that over the last two, three weeks, it has become increasingly more likely that Oscar Shiboy does return. And again, we're going to figure this out over the coming days, coming hours, really. But I, at this point, I think you kind of need Oscar Shiboy back, right? Like you are not going to find somebody in the portal who uh, a few things. One, you can't find anybody in the portal that's going to get you 13, 14 boards a game. But two, that knows the program, that knows John Calipari, that knows the idiosyncrasies of what he does and how he runs that program. And you also just need some veterans in that locker room that have been there and been through it. So the good news is it's increasingly looking like you're going to get back Oscar Sheepway. I still think that Antonio Reeves can be talked into returning because you go into the portal And I get it. It's exciting. There's new ideas, new options. Everybody's going to promise you the world. But you were just at Kentucky on the biggest stage in college basketball and were really a breakout guy over the last probably six weeks of the season. Convince him to come back. Now you have a veteran, a shooter. Yes, I get that there are other young guards on that roster, but you can't tell me there aren't a lot of minutes to be had for Antonio Reeves. So my hunch is that he comes back. Um, And then finally, Chris Livingston, I don't think it's going to happen. I guess the only positive to that is that Chris Livingston has not yet officially announced that he's staying in, although even his statement when he announced he was declaring did not seem as though he's coming back. I don't think he's coming back. We can argue whether he should, whether he shouldn't. I see the tools that have NBA people excited, but he's another guy that feels like a year away. But you talk about what's going on at Kentucky, and I'm sure after the deadline, one way or another, we'll be talking about them. But a program that needs some good news right now, my hunch... And I'll be honest, my hope is that Oscar Chibwe and Antonio Reeves come back because you really just need some bodies at this point and obviously some quality bodies. Still think they have work to do in the portal, by the way. But it starts with this draft deadline, and man, oh man, oh man. We went from probably not wanting Oscar at all back to now it's like you kind of need him going forward. Let's get to some of the other teams that have some big, big weeks ahead. Outside of Kentucky, I think you would probably argue the second team with the second most at stake is actually the Creighton Blue Jays, okay? So for people who don't really know Creighton very well or whatever, Creighton was a program, came into this year in the top 10, dealt with all sorts of injuries. Ryan Kalkbrenner, a player we'll talk about in a minute, had mono, struggled early, started in the top 10, then struggled, then got hot late. And remember, they ended the season in the Elite Eight against the San Diego State Aztecs. So lost in the Elite Eight to the National Runners-Up, So you can sit here and say it was a disappointing season. They ended in the Elite Eight. Now, they've had an interesting offseason because two of their starters have actually entered the transfer portal. Ryan Nemhard is gone, and Arthur Kaluma is testing the waters. But if he comes back, I don't believe Creighton is a real option. More importantly for this conversation, though, Creighton has two players that are currently testing right now that are really important to their 2023-2024 prospectus. That's Ryan Kalkbrenner, all Big East center, and Trey Alexander, a really, really good guard. Ryan Kalkbrenner, for people who don't know, seven-footer. I think he's one of the most dominant players in college basketball in terms of the defensive end of the floor. Two blocks per game this year, 16 points, six rebounds, just a really, really, really elite player. And a player that obviously it goes without saying you can't replace at this point, right? Um they have a nice backup center named Frederick King, but he's not gonna be a 16, six and two guy next year. So if you lose Ryan Kalkbrenner, you have a gaping hole in the front court. And it's kind of the same with Trey Alexander, the guard from Creighton. You lose him. I don't think you can easily replace 13 points per game and 42% three-point shooting. And the thing about Trey Alexander as well is it goes without saying is that if you follow this team, he's a guy that in a a pinch, he can play the point. So you talk about a versatile guard that can play on the ball, that can play off the ball, a 41, 42% three-point shooter. Creighton gets both those guys back. I think we're talking about a preseason top 10 team that's good enough, again, to win the Big East. If they don't get them back, then my hunch is that Creighton, probably a fringe top 25 team at that. A couple nice players coming back. Baylor Shireman will be a fifth-year guy at this point. Um, A couple nice transfers. Steve Ashworth from Utah State. But Creighton really needs those two back. Again, this is all changing by the moment. My hunch is that both come back, though. Other teams. Outside of Creighton, outside of Kentucky, no individual player outside of maybe Oscar Shibwe is more important to his 2023-2024 team than the reigning national player of the year, Zach Eady. And first of all, I'll say this. It's interesting to think about the impact that NIL has had. Last year, Oscar Shibwe comes back as the reigning national player of the year. This year, we can get Zach Eady back at Purdue. But I'll be blunt. I don't think it's a guarantee at this point. And this is an interesting conversation that is worth having is that and we talked about this after the nba combine but i'll be blunt when i saw zach Eadie put his name in the nba draft back in whatever mid to early april i really thought he was a guy that to, I, I thought he was a guy that was gonna go through the waters test come back maybe not come back is he gonna come back but he probably just end up coming back right go get feedback this and that but two things have happened one he went to the combine and and I think there's real interest in drafting him. It was interesting. I, I heard this stat. I think it was Jonathan Cavoni from ESPN put this out. Zach he measured at seven foot four, uh, with some crazy wingspan, like an almost an eight foot wingspan. And those measurables, if he was in the NBA or when he's in the NBA, if he was in the NBA next year, would be the second, he'd be the second tallest player with the second biggest wingspan in the NBA behind only Victor Wenbanyama. So you talk about, you know, the impact of size and length and all that. But like I said, when he started this process, I thought, okay, he's just going to test and get feedback and this and that. Now it's looking more and more like he could be back. Now I'm not sold that he is definitively leaving. And there are a few signs that kind of make it indicate to me that he's probably coming back. One, Purdue has scheduled the game in his home city of Toronto next year against Alabama could mean nothing. But it does feel like kind of a nice way to reward a player who's a, a, you know, he will be a program icon if he comes back. He already is, but he would probably have his jersey retired at that point. So a nice way to kind of honor him playing in Toronto kind of feels weird if you know he's not coming back. Um, I've seen different stuff. You know, Tom Izzo made a speech at one point and he was kind of talking about the 2023, 2024 Big Ten and said, oh yeah, Purdue's got everybody coming back. So that's interesting. And then there's just the draft prospects of it. My understanding is Purdue has really ramped up their NIL as well because Zach Eady is an international student. It's a little complicated. Maybe they fell a little bit behind, but no different than Kentucky with Oscar Shibwe, UConn with Adama Sanogo. With these international players, you have to figure out a way to get these guys paid um, because they're deserving. And right, that's what NIL is supposed to be about. You're supposed to be rewarding the guys that have used their name, image, likeness to propel your team and your school. Zach Eady. you could agree or disagree on Purdue, on this, on that. That dude is deserving of a lot of cold, hard cash in college basketball. A few other schools worth keeping an eye on. <clears throat> Excuse me. One, Illinois. I, I, Illinois is an interesting one. I don't think I talked about them after the NBA draft combine, but they had two players. Remember, Illinois, NCAA tournament team, lost to Arkansas in round one. Illinois, um, two their two best players are both testing. And I think it's a real possibility that they could lose both. Coleman Hawkins, who's kind of a glue guy, do-it-all, about almost 10 points per game, six rebounds, a couple steals, elite defensive player. Really, again, I, I know I just used the term, but when you talk about a glue guy, a guy that can have so much impact on both ends of the floor, there aren't many better in college basketball. Six-foot-ten can really guard about two through five on the floor. Then you have your leading returning scorer, Terrence Shannon Jr., TJ Shannon, 17 points per game last year. Both guys are testing. Now, I think the assumption has always been that Terrence Shannon was kind of a one-year guy at Illinois. Maybe he comes back. I know their NIL setup is pretty good at Illinois. Maybe he comes back. Maybe he doesn't. But Coleman Hawkins, Hawkins is the one. You lose both those guys. That's starting to look like a fringe NCAA tournament, probably bubble team. I know Illinois is kind of in the mix for some transfers, but they haven't had those crazy impact transfer commitments this offseason. A couple nice players, a couple role players, but you really kind of need those two guys back to have an NCAA tournament caliber team. Illinois is one to watch going forward. A couple others before we get out of here, switch gears. Um, one is UConn. Listen, I've talked about UConn kind of a ton this offseason. Reigning national champs, my school, my alma mater, whatever. I bring it up. They have really four guys off of the national championship team that have gone through the process. Two of them are in and not coming back. Adama Sunogo, the NCAA tournament, Final Four most outstanding player, and Jordan Hawkins, who is going to be a lottery pick out of the backcourt. Where it gets interesting, there's two others, Andre Jackson, 6'8", 6'9", forward, and guard Tristan Newton. And I'll be blunt when Andre Jackson entered this draft, it really felt like even he was kind of saying, yeah, I'm going to test the waters. We're going to see whatever, but he has tested through the roof. He's an elite, elite, elite athlete, um, intangibles guy. And, 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 and he's now playing himself into the first round and I'm not surprised by it. I think throughout his college career, everyone has focused on what he can't do, which is basically hit the three point shot what's funny is of course if he could hit a three-point shot he would have been a one and done and been in the league two years ago because he has that kind of elite athleticism and in intangibles but as time goes on what I a lot of people NBA people are starting to realize is we need role play like everybody wants to be a star this league you need role players you need great role players think about all the great role players in these NBA playoffs and that's what he was at UConn, and that's what he's comfortable being. So you're not drafting a guy who can't, who's coming in average 19 points per game having to figure out, is he going to buy into a role? Is he going to do what we ask? No, he's been doing that for three years at UConn. Play, has played himself into the first-round conversation. I suspect he will be gone, and I think UConn has kind of prepared for it. There's no real way to replace him, but I think they kind of understand Listen, this is an opportunity. His stock is never going to be higher. There's no reason at this point to wait. Uh, so you have Andre Jackson. Tristan Newton is the other guy, player that came on really strong, had a great NCA tournament. Interesting story on him. He was one of these fourth-year guys that came in as a transfer a year ago. Most people thought he was kind of a, a quote-unquote one-and-done as a senior at UConn. He was going to kind of plug a hole and play in a, a key role, but he's got that COVID here. And right now it feels like he's probably going to come back. Still really like UConn, even without Andre Jackson, but they would obviously fall a little bit. And then the last team that I think is really interesting, and it's just mostly from a scholarship perspective, is the Arkansas Razorbacks. Arkansas has two players currently testing Jordan Walsh and Devo Davis. Jordan Walsh, my hunch is that he's gone. Devo Davis, I don't know what he's going to do. Because you have a loaded backcourt at Arkansas, if you come back, he would play, but how much, what would his role be, whatever. Uh, My guess is Devo Davis comes back, but why it's also interesting is just from a scholarship perspective, right? Arkansas is still in the mix for Ron Holland, the five-star player who is decommitted from Texas, and they're still in the mix for a bunch of transfers, most notably Grant Nelson from North Dakota State. And so it'll be interesting to follow. It'll be interesting to see. My guess is Jordan Walsh is for sure gone. Devo Davis, I I don't think anybody even knows at this point as he continues to go through the process. Um, Couple other things. One, we have had a few players announce their decisions, and there is some impact on that with college basketball. On a positive note, Kansas got back a wing named Kevin McCuller. Kevin McCuller, nice two-way player. 10 points per game, six rebounds. He's a big guard, really elite defender. And so you're now bringing back another player off last year's team that was the number one seed, the Big 12 regular season champion. And that's just another really, really, really nice piece for Bill Self as you look at his 2023 2024 roster. Yes, it's all about Hunter Dickinson, but like I said, kind of with UConn, with Kentucky, with whoever, with Purdue. You want players who have been there. You want players who know the system. So even though it's going to be about the offseason that Bill Self had, bring in a bunch of transfers, including Hunter Dickinson, the truth is, um, I don't want to say Kevin McCuller is as impactful as Hunter Dickinson, but probably the second biggest win of Bill Self's offseason was getting Kevin McCuller back. Now, if you guys have left that are noteworthy as well. One Omax Prosper from Marquette, we talked about him last time. Marquette, remember, was the Big East regular season champ, was the Big East tournament champ. They were, I think, a two or a three seed in the NCAA tournament. And they were projected to return literally everybody off that team. Well, they lose Omax Prosper, kind of a, a, a back, you know, a two way guard, plays both ends of the uh, back, uh, forward, excuse me, plays both ends of the court. Um, he is a guy that I don't think was even on draft boards going into this process, has now played himself, I believe, into the first round. He'll go somewhere in the 20s, and he's that prototypical guy that every NBA team is looking for, size, athleticism, defensive prowess, all that good stuff. I don't think this impacts Marquette as much as you think, though. They had a great 7-8 man rotation. There are other guys on the roster that I think are going to step up. I'm still going to have Marquette as a top 10 team going into next year, even without Omax Prosper. The one that hurts, though, the one that hurts Alabama lost their starting center, Charles Bediaco, and that was one I don't think anybody really thought was going to happen. Knew you're going to lose Brandon Miller. Knew you were going to lose Noah Clowney. Knew you were going to lose some of the vets to graduation. Don't think that they thought they were losing Charles Bediaco, though, and he's a guy that statistically the numbers don't stand out. But what did I tell you all, off season, all, all season long about Alabama? Everybody loves talk about NATO and the three-point shots and the this and the that. I said, but it's the defense that makes them elite. Nobody talked about it, but Betty Yaka was the anchor of that defense. It's going to be really hard to replace him as well. Finally, I would just say this because this segment's going really long. Couple names that are we talk about the, the NBA draft deadline. Remember, there are players that are in the portal right now. That could withdraw, and then we could have a new wave of free agency. Julian Phillips from Tennessee, we've talked about. Arthur Kaluma from Creighton, we've talked about. Grant Nelson from North Dakota State, we've talked about. One new name as well. Tyler Burton from Richmond. 19 points per game, 7.5 rebounds per game. This guy is a big athletic dude. I think he is an NBA-type talent, and I'm just telling you, this guy comes back to college basketball. When I tell you that every school in America is going to reach out to this guy, he is one of those. Every school in America will be interested in him. Be fascinated to see what he does. He is going to be an impact guy if he comes back to college hoops, as will all of those guys. So it's all worth monitoring. So I want to do take a quick break, wrap the show on a couple other news and notes from the weekend. NBA draft deadline loaded. Take a quick break. Be right back. All right, we are getting back to the show in a minute, but before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook, and the Betfred Sportsbook app. The NBA playoffs are here, and nobody has you covered quite like Betfred. By now, you know Betfred's story, started in 1967 in the UK, over 1,200 shops in the UK. They have since come to the United States and made a major splash. They are not only the presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres podcast and all things Aaron Torres Media, but also... The Cincinnati Bengals, the Colorado Rockies, the Denver Broncos. And what I love about Betfred Sportsbook is that nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred. You've seen the Betfred Sportsbook suite at Bengals games. It is hopping. We have sent listeners of this show to Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. Betfred betters have thrown out first pitches at Colorado Rockies games. Again, nobody takes care of you like Betfred Sportsbook does. And here is what they are doing for the NBA playoffs. How about this for a deal? bet $50 on any game all playoffs long get up to $1,111 in free bets here's how it works download the betfred sportsbook app bet $50 on any game you automatically get $111 in free bets but beyond that here is what else betfred does for you they're going to give you up to $200 in insurance for the first five weeks that you're a betfred customer so Maybe you make a bad pick. We all do. We've all been there. Trust me. You followed my picks in March Madness. It happens. So you bet $200. does not work out. Get 200 insurance for the first five weeks that you are a Betfred customer, equating up to $1,111 in free bets thanks to Betfred. Again, nobody takes care of you like Betfred does. Love working with them. They are the presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres Pod. Tell them Torres sent you. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app right now. All right, everybody. Night back. Going to be back. Going to be back. Do want to hit on a number of different topics before we get out of here. Before we do, though, I'll say this. What did I just say in the last segment? I said that the NBA draft deadline, it is ever-evolving. Things are going to change and literally the second that I hit pause or the second that I finished the first segment, we got some updated news on the NBA draft deadline that I do want to share with you before we get to the rest of the show. The first piece of news, Ryan Kalkbrenner. I talked about it. I said, I think this is one of the four or five most important players that is continuing to test the NBA draft waters. At least he was at about three, four, five o'clock Eastern time. Well, that is a thing of the past because Ryan Kalkbrenner officially announces that he is coming back to Creighton. This is huge for Creighton, okay? I, I, we just talked about Creighton. I don't need to get too deep into the weeds on their roster and their team and their depth chart and their this and their that. But you bring back an all-Big East first-team center, a guy that I believe is one of the best two-way players in college basketball, a guy that averaged 15.6 rebounds but also two blocks on the defensive end, well, I think Creighton is a team that probably, to me, I suspect will start somewhere in my top 10. Now, that is speculative. They still have to get Trey Alexander back, the guard who, as I just said, shot about 41 42% from three, 13 points per game. But if, Mar- if Creighton gets Trey Alexander back, we are talking about a legitimate top 10 team, a team that can not only make it to the Elite Eight again next year, but to the Final Four, maybe beyond, so Creighton with some good news as soon as I'm finished recording. Speaking of good news, two other notes. And again, we're going to get to the rest of the show here momentarily. But one, San Diego State, some great news as Lamont Butler, NCAA tournament hero, announces that he is going to return to San Diego State. Listen, obviously, I talked about my relationship with Lamont previously. I've known him forever, known as high school coach, saw him when he was a freshman, sophomore in high school. But what I can tell you is he really impressed NBA draft people over the course of the last couple of weeks. Had a lot of workouts, had a, you know a pro day in Vegas a few weeks ago, and I was told that he seriously considered leaving for the NBA. Instead, he comes back, and now look, bottom line, San Diego State is a team that should be favored to win the Mountain West, and a team that I think will very much be in the picture to compete for another deep NCAA tournament run. Now, they do lose a lot off this year's national championship runner-up team against UConn. They're going to lose Matt Bradley, Nathan Mensah, Agueca Rope. So I I don't think this is the team that we saw a year ago. But is this a team that could make a second weekend? Is this a team that could win 30 regular season games and get a 4-5 seed again going into the NCAA tournament? Absolutely. Lamont Butler is back at San Diego State. And then the other big piece of news that we got on Monday afternoon, Janai Broom, center from Auburn, is back at Auburn. I saw Bruce Pearl tweet this. He believed that Janai Broom could have been drafted, but he will come back, instead try to play his way into the first round. And I cannot express to you what kind of impact this kid will have in college basketball next year. Six-foot-eleven center, transfer from Moorhead State. But you talk about another guy an impact on the offensive end of the court and the defensive end of the court. 14 points per game, eight and a half rebounds, two and a half blocks per game. And so I don't want to get ahead of things. It's early, but you look at the pieces around Janai Broom at Auburn, Auburn, in my opinion, is a legitimate top 25 team. I don't think they should be deemed the favorites in the sec going into next year. That'll be Tennessee. That'll be Arkansas. We'll see what happens at Kentucky, But you talk about a team that can be in that next year, a team that can compete potentially for the SEC title if things break right. Auburn is that squad, and it is because of Jani Broom. So very quickly, I did. I know I just spent 25 minutes talking about the NBA draft deadline. But as I said, this stuff is fluid. As I record here late on Monday night into Tuesday, three new draft decisions, including one that I talked about, Ryan Kalkbrenner back at Creighton. Uh, also on top of that Lamont Butler back at San Diego State and of course Janai Broom at Auburn and obviously look on the next episode of the Aaron Torres pod we will wait till the NBA draft deadline react to things but I bring it up to say some big news just since I finished the last segment really quickly do want to get to some really two other topics here on on this Tuesday Aaron Torres pod the rare Tuesday episode to lead the week the first one If you love college sports, and specifically if you love college football, big moment in time, like a very monumental thing could be decided this week in Destin, Florida. If you don't know what I'm talking about, SEC spring meetings are in Destin this week. If you remember a year ago, this was the post Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban run in and dust up and all of that. So Jimbo Fisher does what he does in recruiting. Nick Saban calls him out. And this was the first time they were in the same room. And a year ago, we talked about the seating chart and how's it going to work. And what about this? And what about that? Well, this year, there's not nearly as much drama, but all now 16 SEC football coaches, because we're including Brent Venables from Oklahoma, we're including Steve Sarkeesian from Texas, all 16 SEC football coaches will be there. My understanding is all 16 SEC basketball coaches will be there. Porter Mosier, Oklahoma, Rodney Terry, Texas, and the administration as well. And there is one very important decision on the docket. It is what is SEC football going to look like in the post-Texas-Oklahoma era? Remember, these two teams are coming to the SEC next year, and it is a fascinating conversation on what the schedule looks like. If you remember, it was actually a year ago that we actually talked about this. Is The SEC right now is at a crossroads. You add two teams, you have 16 teams total, and what the question now becomes is this. The SEC forever has played eight league games. Do you now add a ninth league game to the SEC schedule? And for people who don't follow this, don't understand, here is the difference between an eighth and a ninth SEC league game. If you stick with eight SEC games with 16 SEC teams, here is how the schedule would look. They call it the 1-7 model. Essentially, what that means is that every team, all 16 teams, would have that one rival that they play every year, and then every year, they would play seven other teams, meaning that over the totality of a two-year period, you would play every single team once, either at home or on the road within the league. So hypothetically, if you're Kentucky, you would have your one-league rival. And then you would play everybody else, Texas, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas, A&M, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Auburn, whoever you'd play everybody at home and on the road over a four year period. And you would play everybody at home once every year, once every, every two years, excuse me. So if you're Kentucky and you don't normally play Texas A&M, you'd play them once every two years and once every four years home and road but you would only play one league rival. And so the SEC is also considering a nine-game league schedule, and the nine-game league schedule would set up like this. You would now play three rivals annually, and then every year you would get every team home or road over the course of a two-year period. So if you're Alabama, let's say, you would have three league rivals, Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU, and everybody else you would play once every two years. Texas A&M, Kentucky, Texas, Oklahoma, whoever. I'm trying to think Georgia obviously would be a big one. Florida would be a big one. But you would have those three league rivals. And so essentially, do you play a nine-game league schedule with three rivals? Or do you play an eight-game league schedule where you only play one rival every every single year? This is interesting and this is important because you have to think about all the schools that have more than one annual rival. Think about Alabama. Alabama has been playing Auburn forever, Tennessee forever, and to a degree, LSU forever. Now, the LSU rivalry has really picked up since Nick Saban got to Alabama. But Texas uh, or or, uh, Alabama and Auburn, the Iron Bowl has been forever. And then, of course, Alabama and Tennessee has been a border war forever. You play an eight-game league schedule, you're going to have to eliminate one of those games. And it's the same for all these other schools. Think about Texas. Texas is coming to the SEC. They play Oklahoma every year. We all want them to play Texas A&M every year. Well, realistically, if you go to an eight-game schedule, we're not getting Texas and Texas A&M every single year. Texas and Oklahoma will probably stay on the schedule, the Red River rivalry in Dallas, neutral field, all that good stuff. But if we get the nine-game league schedule, then we get Texas versus Oklahoma, Texas versus Texas A&M, and then one other league rival, my hunch, would be Arkansas. And so I bring it up because this is the big conversation going on in media, in uh, in the league meetings this week. But why it's interesting is this, is that there has actually been over the course of the last two or three weeks, a new school that has spoken up against the nine game league schedule. That school, believe it or not, is Alabama and Nick Saban. And it is a very crazy concept because let me let me just lay it out for you. The schools that want the eight-game league schedule, for the most part, it's the schools that you would expect. It's the schools that do not want an extra game on their league schedule because it makes it that much harder, one extra league game to get bowl eligible or get potentially in a 12-team playoff to the 12-team playoff. So the schools that have publicly opposed it, Kentucky has publicly opposed it, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, I believe Missouri, I believe Arkansas are two of the schools that have publicly opposed it. The Georgias, the LSUs, the Alabamas, they're saying bring it on. Let's play that extra league game. And so it's fascinating now that Alabama is now an outspoken proponent of sticking with eight league games. And so it'll be interesting to follow this week in Destin, Florida. My hunch is that the league, if they're going to add a league game, wants more money from their TV partners, basically ESPN. And this feels like, to me, a leverage play. This feels like, to me, Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, saying, hey, Coach Saban, we need you to do me a solid, and we need you to kind of propose the, say you're a proponent of the eight-game league schedule. Because if we're just going to have all these extra league games, we got to get paid for it. And what's interesting about it is why Nick Saban is speaking out now. That's the only reason I can think of is that somebody said, Hey, you got to do us a solid. You got to be a proponent of the eight game league schedule because Nick Saban for years has been a proponent of adding the ninth league game, Alabama. You don't think would be threatened. And remember this is we're entering the 12 team playoff era where now, if you lose one game, your season's not over. If you lose two games, your season's not over. I suspect most years at minimum, The three best teams in the SEC are going to make the 12-team college football playoff. So the timing is weird from Nick Saban. My hunch is that somebody asked him to do him a solid. Greg Sankey on late Monday night did kind of meet with reporters. I saw Trey Wallace, my buddy from OutKick, and a few other people say, basically, Greg Sankey says he wants this resolved today. Or resolved this week, I should say. My understanding is, you know, he kind of released a statement that said something to the effect of, we want to land this plane this week. In other words, we don't want to be circling around the airport. We want to land this puppy and decide on eight or nine. It feels as though, and remember, Texas and Oklahoma are headed to the SEC a year ahead of schedule. It feels like for 2024, we might stick with eight league games, but my guess is that we eventually get to nine. So stay tuned for that. That is the big topic. My guess 2024, the first year that Texas and Oklahoma come in, we kind of get that that soft launch, if you will, that eight-game league schedule, and then we get to nine as time goes on. Finally, let me say this. I don't talk a ton of NBA on this show because history tells me, and I can see downloads and views and analytics and all that. You guys and girls generally do not care when I talk. I don't want to say you don't care when I talk NBA basketball. You just prefer me to talk college football, college basketball, maybe a little bit of NFL but I do want to wrap the show that we, we do have an NBA final set, right? The Miami Heat go into Boston, smack the Boston Celtics in Game 7. Just an absolute shocker. The final score in this one, 103-84. to Yes, the Miami Heat beat Boston by 19 points on the road in Game 7 in Boston. This, of course, after trailing oh, th- Miami was up 3-0. Then you have that crazy back end of the series where Boston then wins the next two. They win on Saturday night in game six at the buzzer in Miami. And you think there's no way that the Miami Heat are going to Boston to win game seven. Only that's exactly what they did. Few thoughts on this one. One, you know, when I felt confident that Miami could win this game, I'll be blunt. I was on Fox Sports Radio on Saturday night when game six went final. When Miami lost to Boston at the buzzer, the Derek White put back. And I was on radio with my partner, Jason Martin. And we said, there's no way these guys are going to go on the road. The Miami Heat in game seven and beat the Boston Celtics in Boston. But when I felt confident that it could happen, and I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I predicted and I said Miami was going to win game seven. But when I thought it could happen was when I saw Jimmy Butler's postgame press conference. If you saw Jimmy Butler after game six, here is what he said. Remember, Jimmy Butler hits three free throws to give Miami a one point lead with three seconds left. Of course, uh, Marcus Smart misses the three pointer. Derek White puts it back to get the win in game six. And so you go to the podium. You think the Miami Heat are devastated. You think Jimmy Butler is going to just be pissed off and whatever. And did you hear what he said after game six? He said, I told my teammates, That if I played better, we would have won this game. We wouldn't even be worried about a game seven. And he was kind of right. Jimmy Butler finished 12 of 14 from the free throw line, but five of 21 from the field. And so I bring it up because as soon as Jimmy Butler said that, as soon as he said, we're not worried, we know that if we got a better performance from me, I'm supposed to be the superstar. I wasn't good enough. That was when I was like, you know what? Miami might actually do this thing. Now, did I predict it? I can't lie and say that I did. But Miami advances, and a couple things stand out about this game. One, from the Miami-Denver perspective, I'll say a couple things. I don't care about the ratings. And I know I'm a big ratings guy, and college football does this, and the NCAA tournament does that, and the NFL does that. But I, I am, I guess, happy for the NBA because I feel like, listen, we've all criticized, myself included, the NBA. You've got two likable teams, two likable superstars in Jokic and Jimmy Butler, and two teams that are about the right things. They're about teamwork, responsibility. Um, They believe in their coaches. They fight for each other. Like This is what basketball—if you listen to this show, you like basketball. Now, you probably like college more than the NBA. You're a UConn fan, a Kentucky fan, a Tennessee fan, a UCLA fan, an Arkansas fan at some fundamental level like basketball. But why do you like basketball? It's because it is the ultimate team game. It is because the sum is greater than the parts. It's because, yes, sometimes you need a superstar to elevate you. But also sometimes it is about that team. It's about a group of guys coming together. It's about how the pieces fit. And so what I love about these two teams, the pieces fit perfectly. The players respect each other. The players respect the head coaches. Eric Spolstra is probably the best coach in the NBA right now. But you know why Eric Spoelstra is the best coach in the NBA? It's because 10 years ago, when LeBron arrived in Miami, LeBron wanted Eric Spolstra fired. And Pat Riley sat there and said, no, 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 no. Pat Riley said, you guys play, Spo coaches, I'll be in charge of the front office moves. And so I bring it up because it isn't always this way. And... Eric Spolster, if you want to acknowledge him as the best coach in the NBA, it's only because Pat Riley had his back in the most tumultuous moments in this organization. So Miami advances, two really likable teams. I'm actually really looking forward to these finals. And let me finally wrap by saying this. Pat Riley is that dude, man. First of all, Caleb Martin's that dude. Jimmy Butler won uh, Eastern Conference Finals MVP. I think deservedly so. But how about Caleb Martin, right? We talk about Arkansas basketball and Eric Musselman. Don't forget, Caleb Martin, who I thought was the breakout star of these Eastern Conference Finals, a guy that in Game 7 on Monday night in Boston, remember, Caleb Martin finished with 26 points. This was a guy that also earlier in the series dropped 21 in Game 6. Uh, dropped 16, 18, breakout star. But remember, he played for Eric Musselman at Nevada. So Eric Musselman last year has Moses Moody win an NBA Finals, former Arkansas Razorback with the Golden State Warriors. Now Caleb Martin could do it two years in a row. But beyond that, when I look at this Finals, I am fascinated. And my last thought as it pertains to Miami Heat is this How about Pat freaking Riley, dude? Pat Riley, okay. Pat Riley, think about this. Pat Riley, his first year as an NBA head coach was with the Los Angeles Lakers. He takes over midseason. If you don't know the story, the head coach had a, uh, well, I take that back. Paul Westhead gets fired. And Pat Riley takes over. And in 81-82, they win the NBA championship. Okay, That was with Magic and Kareem and all those guys. 1981-82 was 43 years ago. 42 years ago, whatever it was. You know this is Pat Riley's 15th NBA Finals since then as either a head coach or a front office exec. You know this was the 19th NBA Conference Finals that Pat Riley has been in. And so you look at Pat Riley, I think you can legitimately argue. He is on the Mount Rushmore of sports, of basketball. When you start talking about greatest non-players in basketball, So let's put aside the LeBron MJ stuff for half a second. Red Auerbach's on that list. Phil Jackson's probably on that list. But Pat Riley's probably on the Mount Rushmore of basketball. But guess what? Pat Riley's on the Mount Rushmore of basketball? And I would argue that he's actually underrated relative to what people think about him. So the Miami Heat will play the Denver Nuggets. I bring all this up to say, listen, game one's in Denver. Miami's got to fly right to Denver following this game. They got to play Thursday night. My guess is that Denver, with that home court advantage, wins game one. And I do think Denver wins in six. I just think Denver's the better team. They're bigger. They're more physical. They're tough. And it's not a disrespect to Miami. But I think Denver's the better team. My official NBA Finals pick, and maybe we preview it on Wednesday's show. But my official Finals pick is Denver in six. All right, that's it for this episode of the Intertour Sports Podcast. As I just said, I think today, this week's episode schedule will be as follows. We did today, Tuesday, May 30th. We will do a Thursday episode reacting to the NBA draft deadline. All the guys I mentioned. As I'm recording right now, Oscar Shibwe hasn't decided his final decision. Uh, Andre Jackson hasn't decided his final decision. Trey Alexander from Creighton, Coleman Hawkins from Illinois, Jordan Walsh from Arkansas, on and on. So Thursday's show will be a reaction to the NBA draft deadline. Who's staying? Who's going? What does it mean for college basketball next year? And then we'll do a normal Friday show. So three episodes this week, instead of Monday, Wednesday, Friday, it will be Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, but we'll have some fun this week and we'll do what we do. Before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure to hit that YouTube channel, closing in on 23,000 subscribers. Cannot thank you all enough for your support. Make sure if you are subscribed on Apple or Spotify, leave a rating or review. Five stars would be nice. If it's not too much trouble for you, leave a rating and review. Um, Also, that's really it. Rating and review, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and also social media. At Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. At Aaron Torres pod on Instagram. Obviously, those Torres on accounts. Torres on Arizona. Torres on the Vols. Torres on the Hogs. Torres on UK. Torres on Indiana. Torres on UConn. On and on. But that is all for today's show. And it is time for me to get out of here. That's it. I'll be back on Wednesday reacting to the NBA draft. But it is time for me to go. Shout out to Torn Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, UF head. By the way, for people who remember the JJ Reddick beef, you see how the Celtics barely broke 80 in a crucial Game 7 winner go home? Looks like Torres was right on that one. I'll be back on Wednesday. New episode Aaron Torres pod. Hopefully JJ Reddick will have unblocked me by then. I don't think he will. But you never know. Stay tuned. I'll be back on Thursday, people.